and welcome to episode 260 of SMARTS, which as you know stands for... Snake manages Arctic rescue through sneaking. Oh, very good. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q Podcaster. Hello. Hi. Ready for the news? I'm ready. So we've got a couple of bits of news this week. So uh, both of which I think you know. So hot off the heels of Warner Media's announcement that Wonder Woman 1984 would debut on HBO Max day and date with its theatrical release on Christmas, mm-hmm. they've further announced that their entire 2021 movie slate will similarly appear on HBO Max for a limited time window, one one month, mm-hmm. um, at the same time that they debut in theaters and will then disappear from HBO Max until such time as they would have eventually ended up there anyway, like six months later or whatever. Right. So what this means is that movies that we're interested in, like James Gunn's Suicide Squad, and also other movies that I probably wouldn't have gone to the theater to see, but have some interest in seeing, like the new Matrix movie and the Mortal Kombat reboot, uh-huh. uh, will also will be on HBO Max um, same day as they come out in theaters. Wow, that's awesome. So, of course, now all eyes are on Disney to do something similar. We talked about this. We've talked about this a lot. We don't need to rehash it again. But, I mean, they're, they're, the economics of their decision are quite different. They don't need to prop up Disney Plus in the same way that Warner Media needs to prop up, prop up HBO Max because Disney Plus already has like tens, if not hundreds of millions of subscribers. They're already doing very, very well. And they stand to make more money from, you know, Black Widow or whatever the next Marvel movie is after that, Shang-Chi or the Eternals or whatever, as sort of C-list as those characters are, probably stand to make more money. Well, I don't know. I don't know if Shang-Chi, I mean, Marvel is Marvel, yes, but I don't know if Shang-Chi is going to make more money than a new Matrix movie. I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? It's a weird world. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think uh, the economics for Disney are somewhat different. There's every indication they're going to make some sort of announcement soon about... um, shifting some stuff to Disney Plus, but I, I think the rumors are that that's just going to be more, they're going to put some details to some of the original content that was already going to be coming to Disney Plus, like they'll announce a release date for Hawkeye or She-Hulk or Ms. Marvel or something, um, and not say, oh, by the way, Black Widow, I mean, that's the one that everybody's hoping for, is that they'll put just put Black Widow on Disney Plus and charge 30 bucks, but I just don't think they're going to do it. I'd be happy to be proven wrong, but I just don't think so. The other news we have this week is that um, Oscar Isaac, so this is short off the news that he was going to be uh, the star of Marvel's Moon Knight series. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also apparently been tapped to be the lead in the long gestating, and by long I mean like most of my life gestating, uh, Metal Gear Solid movie. I remember when the, Metal Gear Solid, when the first Metal Gear Solid game came out in, I don't even know, when, when, whenever that was, late 90s, I guess. I was going to um, say 93. David Hayter, I don't know. David Hayter, who, is, who was the, is the voice of the English voice of Solid Snake, is also a renowned screenwriter. Oh. In fact, he, he co-wrote the screenplays for, I think he co-wrote the screenplay for the, the first X-Men movie, and, he's, and worked, I think he worked on the Watchmen script, too. He's, he's, done, a, he's done a lot of, he's a screenwriter and voice actor, predominantly a screenwriter. Um, and he did a draft and of course like who knows it better than him right because he is Solid Snake um, <laughs> but I don't know if they're going to be if anybody's still using that draft or what that was like 20 years ago so who knows but this is just goes to show you how long this movie has been in development it would make a great movie it's, it's weird like Hideo Kojima the creator and director of the games is weird like <laughs> I don't know it's, it's weird stuff like it, it's not like traditional oh you know spy espionage it's like spy espionage but with um, like philosophy and weird sci-fi and like bizarre comedy sometimes. Like it's it's very weird tonally. 
um, in a way that is very distinctly like his most recent game, Kojima's most recent game is Death Stranding, which I think you've seen like trailers for and reviews. It's the one with Norman Reedus mm-hmm. and a post apocalyptic environment with like a baby, like in, like a baby in a vat on his back, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's weird, weird stuff. So anyway, I think it would, but it would, if they maybe, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to tone down those aspects or not. It would kind of, if you, okay. So, I mean, I guess you could say like, like Final Fantasy VII, right? Mm-hmm. Like in some ways it's a very serious story about, you know, the environment and terrorism and yeah. spirituality and identity. But then there's like the cloud cross-dressing sequence, right? right. Or Kate Sith or like Red Thirteen is a talking cat dog, right? right. That's like, that is to like, you know, that kind of story as Metal Gear Solid is to espionage. Like, it's mostly serious, but every so often it's like, why is this in there? Like, mm-hmm. but it's part of what makes, it gives those games their identity is these mm-hmm. weird, this weird tonal mishmash that it is. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to tone all that down. But anyway, regardless, Oscar Isaac is fantastic. And, um, you know, ethnically speaking, he's probably not like what I would picture as Solid Snake because he's not, you know, like quote-unquote like caucasian european Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. standard you know but whatever i don't i don't care and i think that i mean his his exact ethnicity is in no way important to the story so that so that's fine and i think that he looks the part like give him some scruff and have him bulk up a little bit and he can do like a raspy voice or whatever and Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he. I think he could do really great at it. He's just getting cast in everything these days for Star Wars, then Marvel, now Metal Gear Solid. So I don't know what else. What other big? All we need to do is have him play some some DC character. What DC yeah, character should Oscar Isaac play? Ooh, hold on, I can do this. Wait a minute. Mm, DC character, I think he. Oh, well, if he weren't too old for that, but um, he'd make an okay Batman. I think actually, oh, he'd I mean, make a stellar say, Batman. Say Moon Knight. Moon Knight is like a. It's like a file off the serial number <laughs> Batman anyway. So. That's hilarious. No. Um, I would, oh, Midnighter. <laughs> Midnighter? Yeah. He'd make a good Midnighter. Mm. I know that he's straight, but but still. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he could play it. But like when I think of the characters he's played before, Midnighter is not roguish so much as he is just terse. You know what I mean? It's a little bit of a, he's a different kind of jerk. <laughs> Maybe he's not a roguish jerk. He's just no. a jerk, jerk. Well, I have more faith in his um, range. I I'm trying to scrap my brain for what else I think that he could play. Um, um, let's see, Aquaman, Superman, Batman. I mean, all of those a, guys are. He'd make a pretty. For, he'd make. But... He'd make a pretty good like um, Manu Bennett age Deathstroke. I think he'd make a pretty good Deathstroke. Ooh, you know, yeah. put him put him gray his temples a little bit, mm-hmm. put an eye patch on him. I bet he could play the heck out of that. <laughs> he would. I mean, if he, if he were fifteen years younger, I would say Dick Grayson because he's got that kind of like. Swagger. I was gonna say. I was gonna say um, Red Hood. Yeah, but he's too old for that too. I know. But yeah, he do, he does have that sort of like. Well, we're we're <laughs> we're we're yeah. shaving years off of him now, so that's a whole different ball game. Um. Oh my God, he made. <laughs> His attitude would be exactly what you want in in Damien. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Okay, now we're just going crazy yeah. with this. <laughs> but that's the news. That's a good so bit of news. Should we move on to your comic of the week? Yes, I'm what ready. What was your comic of the week? Far Sector number whatever it is. Nine. Nine. Wow. This issue was great. It was so good. Um, she's learning. Joe is learning more about the, the culture of the place and also the socioeconomics of all of the... Um, 
races as they live together, as they cohabitate, who's really on the bottom of the rung, who's been starving. Um, the ats have been really, really, I don't know, neglected and uh, ignored and just in a bad way for a long time. Um, she's learning about that. She's learning about how the um, exploit came into legal being in the first place, that it was actually not supported in the beginning, except for by one person who then sort of pushed it onto other people and then it sort of grew from there. But um, it, it's still not a, a popular road by any stretch of the imagination. Most people don't want it. Um, and then she also goes on a mission afterwards to track down a lead um, to, to further the investigation of, of what's been happening with the, with the murders and also with the body takeovers and everything else that's been connected to this entire um, exploit thing. And she realizes that it's not just the memes that are hot on the dark web or the dark web equivalent on this planet it's the people who take them because they don't want just imported memes they want homegrown memes and there's only one way to get that which is to get people high and then have them produce it no it's true for anyone who doesn't read this comic you I probably know. sounded like you had a stroke in the middle of that sentence <laughs> it's true oh my god it's like right. it's like you meant to say like illegal firearms or something but your brain substituted memes, memes instead with their, yeah i know memes oh my gosh yes um just the the people of this planet crave the sweet sweet illegal content the freshest of illegal content but it also has to be homegrown illegal content and there's only one way to do that is if you kidnap people make them uh take the exploit uh, and then or the inhibitor for the exploit and then have them create memes and imprison them against their will and so she finds this place where this is happening she finds it and now we're going to see what happens with that information because she's infiltrated the base and it's just such a wonderful series of scenes and the art continues to be breathtaking i just can't i can't with this artist he's He's probably my fa favorite artist that I've ever seen in DC. And I've got a few top tiers. Like if I were to do a top five, um, I could I could name a few. But honestly, he's my number one. He's great. He's so great. Jamal Campbell. Oh, my gosh. Big hearts. Big hearts to Jamal Campbell because seriously. Anyway, that's my comic of the week. <laughs> Sorry to go on a rant. But yeah, you, you guys should be reading it because it's really, really interesting. And it has a lot of parallels with our own society, um, which she even nods to. Joe herself, the character, nods to. She's like, well, I guess things are not that. Some things really are universal, you know. Um, yeah, anyway, what'd you pick? So I picked uh, Batman Catwoman number one. Nice. Which I really choice. enjoyed. This is the first issue of the new Tom King series with art by um, Clay Mann. Nice. And it was great. I mean, it throws a lot at you at the beginning. We're dealing with three different time periods and sort of uh, mysteries and, and dangling threads in all three of them. So it's sort of, I think it's sort of intended to make you feel a little disoriented and you're not quite sure uh, which way is up in any of the plots. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff here. I mean, in the future, we've got um selena going on so some sort of last mission right um settling old debts kind of after uh, bruce has died in the present we've got andrea beaumont from mask of the phantasm which of course is the best batman movie ever um coming back to gotham and asking bruce to help her find her son who's run away um and uh, you know tom king because again tom king scott snyder james tiny and they're all of our generation so they grew up with batman the animated series as being their batman so he's like yeah bat if you watch batman the An batman mask of the phantasm like that's canon like in his mind that movie happened like exactly as we as you saw it you know um which is which is great because i mean why bother i mean 
why bother? You could say why bother bringing that character in if it's not going to be like unless you're going unless that story is sacrosanct. Why even bother? Like if you just bring her in as some mercenary or some villain or something, then I mean you can adapt characters in different ways. But I don't know. To me, it would almost be pointless because she's so specific to that story. Um, yeah, it's really good, and the art is great, and um, and I'm really looking forward to seeing where it goes. A lot of interesting mysteries. Awesome. Good choice. So should we move on to your activity? I'm ready. So this week I'm going to be quizzing you about Metal Gear Solid characters. Why do you do these things to me? I never played the game. So I'm going to list four characters, three of whom are real and one of which is made up. And you have to tell me which one I made up. Okay. Okay. Everybody who's not Solid Snake. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. Number one. (laughs) Yeah. Solid Snake, Mm -hmm. Liquid Snake, Uh Gaseous Snake, (laughs) and Solidus Snake funny <laughs> i think you made up the other three except no, for solid three snake. are real and one is made up what are you joking me what? no what are you joking me? the rules the rules were clearly stated three were they real. my brain interpreted them as one real three fake okay. incorrect okay so which is the fake one? Oh my god solidus snake no that one is real no you thought it was actually i mean who maybe i shouldn't be t- <laughs> the names are all pretty dumb but yeah you thought there was a character named gaseous snake Sure, why not? All if there's right. a liquid snake, what do you want from me? <laughs> that's know, but, the next but, progression. If but, you apply heat to liquid, you yeah, get gas. Liquid is like, I don't know, that's like a cool word, but gaseous snake, what does that even mean? Poison, that's, that's, I don't know. That's dumb and you're a dumb person. All right, <laughs> what num- do you want? Number two. Number two <laughs> okay. Revolver Ocelot. <laughs> I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> that's it, that's me. Revolver Ocelot. <laughs> Doiby Dickles. No, that's not. Revolver Ocelot. <laughs> yeah. Psycho Mantis, <laughs> Sniper Wolf, oh and god. Mad Tiger. Oh my god. <laughs> Please tell me the Mantis is made up. I'm so proud of you if you made that one up. Psycho Mantis? Yeah. No, that's a real character. Oh my god, no. <laughs> I made up Mad Tiger. Oh my god. You know, that was my guess because it was the tamest, no pun intended, of all of them. All but, right. Oh my god. Number three. Okay. All right. Black bear, mm-hmm. gray fox, mm-hmm. Vulcan raven, and decoy octopus. See, now I'm afraid. You could have gone subtle, or you could have gone crazy. You could have gone crazy with the octopus one. I am quite mad. I, <laughs> yeah. Or you could have gone really. Maybe you even went with Star Trekky. You could have come up with the Vulcan one. But um. Um, black bear or gray wolf? Was it gray wolf? Gray fox. Gray fox. Hmm. Confusing gray fox with sniper wolf, you idiot. <laughs> Jeez. Um. No, I'm gonna go with uh, octopus. You made up the octopus. No, decoy octopus. Despite the fact that it sounds like it should be a robot from Mega Man X, is actually a Metal Gear Solid villain. Oh black bear is the one that I made up. Stop it. You made a black bear? Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to go for the subtle ones because those are the ones that are less, you know. I'm not sure that's going to help you with the last two. Oh, damn it. All right, number four. Yeah. The pain, the anger, the fear, or the end? <laughs> the anger. Correct. I made up yes! the Yes. How did you guess that? Um, I tried to go with the least crazy option. <laughs> All right. That was that was also not uh, intimidating. Number five. Yeah. Now these are groups, not individuals. Now, okay. okay? All right. Outer Heaven, Foxhound, Diamond Dogs, 
and Herald of Ashes. Can you repeat those again? <laughs> I just can't wrap my brain Revolver around. Ocelot, no. <laughs> Outer Heaven, uh-huh. Foxhound, Diamond Dogs, and Herald of Ashes. Oh, it's a toss-up between Diamond Dogs and Foxhound. I think Foxhound. No, that's a real thing. It's in all caps, if that helps you. Herald of Ashes, I made up. I you actually, made up Herald I actually of got Ashes? That, from that was good. Random villain name generator on the internet. <laughs> I just, you need to send me that link. That, oh my God, no, don't send me that link. That will be a time sink. <laughs> Foxhound is the, is, the, is the organization that Solid Snake works for. Oh, okay. That's why it sounded a little bit familiar. You idiot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm sensing a running theme here. Okay. So you got one. <laughs> You got the anger. I did. I which got the anger. I don't blame you for. <laughs> I do have a lot of the anger. <laughs> and the rest you got wrong. Okay. <laughs> do you feel now that you're ready to play the game it, or to, see the... to see the Metal Gear Solid movie? <laughs> I think <laughs> you know all you need I'm to know. more ready than I was there before. Aren't, yeah. There aren't any gas. Actually, there are lots of gases. It's just there's not a character with mm-hmm. with gas in the name. <laughs> ridiculous psycho mantis was a, such a cool boss fight though because he he plays with your he messes with your perceptions oh no and one way that he does that is he's like oh you like playing suikoden games don't you and you're like how did he know that but it's because the game reads what other save files you have on your memory oh card oh my god no really that's so cool that's like hacking but and he'll really do cool. stuff and he'll do stuff where you're like he messes with and there's what, what was it there's one point where <laughs> i can't remember if this is in the original one i think it is it makes you think that your game is crashed oh so that you're like he, he doesn't want you to beat him so that he makes so he puts up like an like a like this a static, screen he makes you think that your game is crashed so you'll reset the game but it's actually just him messing with your perceptions it's that sort of like fourth wall breaking weirdness. whoa that's messed up yeah, that's so cool cool fight whoa. all right <laughs> so now we have our shows okay. we have the mandalorian and star trek discovery uh-huh. so the mandalorian this is chapter 14 the tragedy so you yeah. know that everybody's going to have a good time in this one. Probably yeah. some, e- probably some Ewok dancing. Mm-hmm. You know, barbecues. Um, I wouldn't say Enjoy. it was. I wouldn't say it was like a huge tragedy, really. Yeah. I mean, the child gets taken by the Empire, but that happens like at least once a season, anyway. Yeah. Sometimes twice. Yeah. So like, while it it is a tragedy, I guess they didn't call it an unprecedented tragedy. They just called it the tragedy. Right. right. So it's not like they were overselling it. Um, just an ordinary run-of-the-mill tragedy. But we get so we get Fennec Shand is back. Ming Na Wen is back with yep. um with robot belly with a robot belly yep. now. Mm-hmm. Um, Boba Fett took her to a good abs of steel. Took her to a abs good, of steel was right there. Yeah, took her to took her to a good belly man that he knows yeah. in Mos Eisley and got her all fixed up. Yep. Um, <laughs> Boba Fett himself, right? Tamora Morrison shows up in his awesome like <laughs> desert man. Yeah, weird. Like black Lawrence of Arabia by way Magi of Magi of the Sand People, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and his and his gaffy stick that like he beats he people with. Whooped some serious butt. And then he gets his armor back, and he's even more badass. In the oh, like he fires so off his, his rocket. He's got like knee missiles. Knee missiles. <laughs> it doesn't so seem good. like you could fit something that propellant in. Well, why not? Something that goes on your knee, but whatever. hey, excuse you very much, but um. If the Mandalorian has little arm gauntlets with like five or six uh, missiles, then why not me rockets? I guess. Um, yeah, and they the Empire gets the child back and uses uh, dark troopers to do it, which are these cool black flying, like super hard to fight droids from the old 
Legends continuity and yeah, I mean there's I mean the action sequences here were fantastic and Boba Fett was really cool. Um, they team up with him at the end, so now we're going to get like a team up and flying around in Slave One because the razor, razor Crest gets blown up. All that remained of it was the little knob and the Beskar spear yep. that we got from the Ahsoka episode. Yep. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I don't have a ton to say about it, but it was it was just really it was like a thirty uh, you know, five minutes of sort of like easing you into it, and then yep. like twenty five minutes of all out action with Boba Fett. It and was everything. it was a beautiful series of action too. I mean, the the angles there, seriously, the um, the Star Wars Explained guy. Alex and his wife Molly, they they run a really nice channel. Y'all should check it out if you like it. Um, it's it's w- one of the things that he does is sometimes he recaps things with little screen grabs from the episode, and I just can't stop staring at the beauty of these frames. Like you see Timur Morrison taking a swing with that weird little stick at a stormtrooper's helmet, and you see the rage on his face, and they captured it all in the frame, and it's just off angle, but everything fills it so perfectly and tells you the story of, oh, it's just so good. It's really beautiful, like beautiful action sequences were filmed really, really well. There's only one beef that I had with this episode, and I wanted to air it here with you guys, is that um, I understand that at the beginning of their encounter, Boba Fett tells the Mandalorian they sort of have a standoff and he asks him to take off his jetpack. I guess that's important, but it wasn't really made clear that he never got it back on because after a significant time has passed, you'd think that the Mando would have picked it up for the fight. And especially since I think that I saw, I might have been mistaken, I gotta go rewatch this sequence, but... I thought that when he came in to save Fennec when she was surrounded, like at the swell of the fight when the second ship of stormtroopers arrived, like that he he rode in on his rocket, um, on his rocket jetpack to where she was and then helped her, you know, wipe everybody else out, wipe out the second wave as it was. Um, then... Then they're all climbing back up to the mountain when they realize at the end that the child is in danger and the dark troopers are coming out of the sky and we don't get to see them fight, but that's for obvious reasons because they're probably the biggest threat and we're going to see them fight in subsequent episodes, so we're going to see what that's all about. But anyway, um, it's basically a race to the mountain to get to see to get to to see who gets to the child first. Why didn't he fly? Why didn't Boba Fett fly? I don't understand. Well, why Boba Fett didn't... Well, because Boba Fett... I mean, so the Mandalorian, I'm pretty sure, still didn't have his jetpack. I don't think he flew into that other scene. I think that... I think, wouldn't, it, it be, wouldn't it have been faster even if he didn't have his jetpack to run to where he left I don't his jetpack I mean, and then it's, fly? It's a little... It's, it's, riding, it's riding born of convenience. But I know. The idea clearly was we're going we're gonna to need to... He's, it's going to have to be hard for him to... Get back to, to him in time. To get places in a hurry later in the episode. So we'll separate him from his jetpack early on. But it's... I'm fine with it because i figure as the firefight continued it sort of maybe moved you know moved 100 yards you know around the mountain or to a different spot on the mountain and he was literally it would literally he was closer to the peak of the mountain than he would have been to go get the jetpack and fly up or he was like not thinking straight because he was so worried about the child i don't know it it didn't occur to me and you know i bumped on it it i i I bumped on it while i was watching the episode i was like why can't you just fly as far as why boba fett didn't fly i I think he was at that point he was like holding off the empire on his own so Mm -hmm. maybe he was occupied preoccupied or didn't see what was happening and they weren't in communication and i don't know none of it really bothered me things were happening so fast and probably nobody was really fully aware of but that's the thing though i mean boba fett had just blown up one ship with another and they had that moment of peace before the storm of the dorm stormtroopers, no pun intended, <laughs> before the stormtroopers. That's a pretty good one. Um, the calm before the stormtroopers. Anyway, um, uh, before the dark troopers came out of the sky, they had that moment where nobody was doing anything. And so Boba Fett could have flown. I just, 
That's that's my little beef with the writing of the episode because it was really impactful and I could see what they were going for, but it really that in that for me, I'm not everybody, but for me it took me out of the moment. Well, with that one thing because I was like, no, you could have stopped it. Um, um, but but no, but it was a really really good episode. I really love it for for just that one little critique. Um, but I really love this episode. It was great. So Star Trek Discovery, this one was called The Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the meat of what's going... So they get more information about the burn, kind of. They at least know where to go now to look because they get this uh, Starfleet distress signal that's coming from a nebula um, that because of distortion that's happening due to nearby phenomena um, get, ends up sounding kind of like music, which is why different characters have been hearing this music. Um so they're going to go there and check it out. Meanwhile, uh, Michael and Book have to go back to his planet and do a whole thing where they have to fight off the Emerald Chain and their leader to protect the crops of the planet. And his brother is, I don't know, we don't we don't see a lot of the planet. We don't really fully understand. Like, is his brother, I don't know, because I don't fully understand how this planet works because it looked like a big planet. But then when we pull out, when when at the end, Book and his brother are driving the jellyfish things back, it's like a very small region of the planet that they seem to be yep. covering. So is that one part of the planet where all the crops are or are there other schools of these things elsewhere? And they're like, it's all very, the scale of the planet is very weird. It's like, is his brother running the planet or is his brother running this one like district? And that's the only district where the, where these animals are, but also it's the only district where all the planet's crops are. I'm a little un- unclear on exactly how all of this works, but he must be important because he's the one that Osira is is working with, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's a little unclear. This whole, As with many plants in Star Trek, this entire planet appears to be one forest or canyon mm-hmm. and one building mm-hmm. with a few goons and one, like, administrator, right? Yeah. Like, that's that's pretty much every planet th- for, for most Star Trek series. And it's this planet as well. So his brother... Didn't I mean didn't make much of an impression on me as a character? Uh, his the other people there were just goons. They were non entities. Yeah, they didn't talk. Um, the planet looked pretty, and that was a nice house. Mm-hmm. That was some guy's really nice living room that they yeah. rented out for an afternoon, but not exactly the most wondrous of sci-fi future <laughs> landscapes. Yeah, and I was like, that's really good. That Star Trek Discovery has ever presented us with, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um. So the planet stuff, I mean, what was interesting for me on the on the planet stuff was like the character stuff, right? Like learning more about Book and seeing how he reacts to these situations yeah. um, and what's important to him and like the choices he's made and what he left behind and so on. That stuff was interesting because I like him as a character um, and seeing him come around at the end after Starfleet basically saves his planet and his family yeah. um, to saying like, to like seeing seeing now what Michael sees in Starfleet and like sort of signing on to help them in some like unofficial capacity. Yeah. Um, all of that was good. Yeah. But um, but the, the planet stuff definitely felt like it wouldn't have been out of place. And, you know, it wouldn't have been shot the same way. Yeah. Because it wouldn't have been shot quite so modern and actiony and stuff um, back 25 years no. ago in TNG. But this easily, but the plot and how it played out could have easily been like yeah, a, TN, a, a TNG episode. Could have even been a TOS episode. Like yeah. that idea, I think, has been floating I think many, more many, many the, in, the sort of the environmental message of it, like the vague, the, sort of the notion of oh, like sure. climate change kind of thing going that on didn't happen is the more the 90s, kind of yeah. thing that Next Gen would have dabbled yeah. in, uh, which is why I sort of felt like that. And, and definitely Picard would have been more the type 
to say like, oh, we'll use like Jordy will figure out some way to use the Enterprise's main deflector dish to do the yada, yada, yada. Whereas Kirk, how often did Kirk say, oh, I know, we'll use our... That's true. Did they even have... I mean, I guess... Scotty, can you engineer a solution for us? Yeah, Yeah. like, it's not really, like, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, like, science their way out of problems very often. Kirk either punched his way out of problems or talked talked his way out of problems, right? Like, he didn't, they never really came up with a clever techie science solution to things. That was definitely, like, a 90s era Star Trek Mm -hmm. thing to do. Um, So I was definitely getting those vibes. Um, Yeah, but I mean, it was a good episode. It's not my favorite of the season, because the planet stuff was kind of like, this felt kind of generic to me the plant stuff the plot and the locations the villain i mean if she's i hope kind of hope she's not the big bad of the season if she's just like hopefully the big bad will be what who or whatever caused the burn yep that doesn't have to be a big season-long villain i mean classic star trek never had that discovery has kind of had that you know yeah season one it was Lorca and and also the klingons right yeah. the klingon war season two it was control and section 31 and here, presumably, it's going to be Osira and also whatever caused the burn. Yeah. Um, unless it turns out that they get really clever and they're trying to put clever in air quotes. And it's like, oh, it turns out that somehow Discovery themselves caused the burn when they traveled through time and did whatever. Like, I don't want that to be the case. But if, if that is what's happened, it's like, oh, it turns out we are the true villains, you know, then I yeah. guess there is no big villain to punch to to. um to prevent the burn from ever happening again and we're just left with Osiris. I mean, the actress did a good job. Yeah. But she wasn't exactly written as the, like the most interesting, unique villain. No. She she came off like a one-off TNG villain. Yes. You know? Yes. Like the sort of space gangster extortionist type. Mm-hmm. Master strategist with no moral code. Sure. Yeah. Like we would see in a random episode of Voyager or something. Like they yeah. come across some planet where someone's extorting the people and they help them right. out and they go on their way. Like, right. So, you know. Maybe she'll get more interesting in future. I feel like they tried to build her up to be more interesting. Because, oh, we hear about her in several episodes. Yep. We hear about the emotion. We meet her nephew. Yeah. Um, it was exciting to meet her. But it's like you said. It's like when they when they basically described her deal, that's it. That's what we get. They didn't and the really first do anything was good. interesting like, she was with great, her. Like, but no. The, set, exactly. the, the, the concept is interesting like because of the status quo in this future that before, if like the Enterprise or someone had encountered... Um, some criminal syndicate that's extorting some people. Right. They would have, all Picard would have had to do is say, knock it off or we'll bring like the full weight of the Federation down on you. And that would have been, maybe it wouldn't work every time, but at least that would have been an impressive threat. Here, it's, we don't know exactly like the numbers we're working with, but it's easy to imagine that the Emerald Chain has more resources and more ships to bring to bear than the Federation does at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, possibly they have more dilithium to use, although we learned that they're running out of dilithium. Yep. So, so mm-hmm. that's sort of their secret weakness. That was interesting. But I thought it was also interesting that uh, what the Andorian was saying. What's his name? Keen or something? Rin. Oh, okay, Rin. Um, the Andorian that she was born into the Emerald Chain, which I don't even know how that's possible. How old do Orions live, and how did a um, an almost middle aged uh, and Dorian get born into the Emerald Chain. I have questions on that. Well, if the Emerald Chain started even a full generation after the burn, it's still 100 years ago. That's true. Okay, that's fair. That's true. And um, we don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe the, and I mean, the Andorians were one of the founding members of the Federation, but maybe they seceded from the Federation even before the burn because we know be. the tensions yeah. in the Federation were, were, were running high even before the burn because everybody was running out of dilithium and the uh-huh. Federation bigwigs were 
pressuring member worlds to produce more and more and sort of straining their resources thin. Right, right. So it's possible. And the Andorians were never the most, you know, even-tempered of races. No. So if, if they seceded before but the burn, I was then... curious about the mythology that he brought up because I don't think that that was fully explored. I feel like that last scene with um, Tilly where he was telling her that... It's interesting that uh, the Federation is here to help. Like, I didn't trust you with this information before this because basically, like, we were raised to. Well, he's fear heard the bad Federation. things about like, the Federation. Yeah, the, the Federation se- is the boogeyman to, not, to all of us. It's and not like, the first oh? time we've heard that either. Like, because I mean, even back in the season premiere, book when book saw Michael's st- uh, uh, Starfleet combat, yes. Starfleet symbol, he's like, "Don't show that around because there's gonna, you know, there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna want to take out their grudges on you, right?" Yeah, it's hard to know whether it's hard to know because there could be a lot of things going on. It could be that. By the end of their tenure, yeah. especially as things got more desperate with dilithium and everything, yeah. the fe- the Federation and Starfleet started to do some dubious things that turned a lot of people off. Yep, that's possible. Yeah, it's possible that what what got has got everybody mad is that the Federation and Starfleet were supposed to protect them. Yes, and they didn't see the burn coming, mm-hmm. and they were hit so hard by it, and they maybe didn't react to it in the way that anybody would have liked. And then they, I mean, yeah, sort you of could... cut it. They had to cut everybody loose, and they were on their own, and they resent them for it. Sure, it could be that, you know, in the in the several generations since the burn happened, that there's been, you know, that because of lingering resentments and and problems like that, that it's just become. There's been stories passed down and grudges passed down and nobody even remembers like, oh, you're just raised to hate the Federation. Why? It's because your great great grandfather resented them for what for the burn. Right. But we don't even remember that anymore. We just remember that we're not supposed to trust the Federation. Right, right, right. Because right. yep. it's probably because the Federation is so small now that a lot of these people have probably never even encountered a Starfleet vessel before. Yeah. Because it's confined to like this small part of the galaxy now. So, so it's hard to say. I mean, it could they could have legitimate grievances or it could be just like it seems like Trill and Navarre and so on don't don't really have any specific reasons. I mean, Navarre kind of does, but it's not like, oh, the Federation did some horrible thing or whatever. It's just like, oh, everybody was, nobody was really at their best around the time of the burn and leading up to it. And there's like a lot of lingering resentments and so on. It seems like the people who were actually there yep. and would know aren't able to point to any one thing, like any one atrocity the Federation committed or something. Yep. It seems like it's just like a lot of the circum, you know, the circumstances conspired against everybody and somebody kind of had to take the rap for it. Right. But the people that are way out on the fringes don't know the exact details of anything. All they know is that the Federation used to be top dog, but, you know, turns out they weren't very good at anything or whatever because now everything is yep. the Wild West and has gone to hell. And, you know, it's easy to blame the people that should have been you know? Yep. Yeah. When, you know, like when the, when the criminals take over your town, it's easy to blame the, the sheriff, sheriff or the for police not for being, not doing their yeah, jobs, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. I, I, something tells me that's all it is. I, I kind of hope that's all it is because I feel like they've done a good job of of showing the Federation and Starfleet as being um, flawed as far as like what led to the burn and their reaction to the burn. And, you know, maybe they didn't handle things perfectly, but they were still at least trying to live up to the ideals of the Federation. If it turns out they were committing like secret war crimes or something, then that's you know. maybe a problem. And yeah. of course you've got the out of like, well, maybe section 31 was doing this. Like, I mean, that's always their, their, their Go-to. easy out when they want to have the Federation doing something underhanded, but not have the blame fall on like the real Federation, Federation or Starfleet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they did that last season. So I kind of hope that doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting, and definitely, I, I feel like it's hard to tell whether they're just whether that's just like a, 
world building where they're like, yeah, people, everybody yeah. kind of like vaguely resents the Federation, but nobody really remembers why. Right. Or if they're setting up for some big reveal yeah. that, oh, like the Federation actually caused. But if the, if the Federation mm-hmm. actually caused the burn and that's why people hate them, then everybody would know that the Federation caused the burn. Right. Otherwise, they wouldn't know to hate them. And it would be common knowledge that the Federation caused the burn. Right. And everybody wouldn't be saying, well, nobody knows, yada, yada, yada. Right. I mean, even going back to the earlier episodes where um, that, that uh, mustache twirling uh, Western villain in the saloon right referred to saru and tilly um uh pejoratively as vidrash right which yes. is like the pejorative pigeon word um bastardization of federation yeah that we know is used in this future like there's you know that wouldn't be an epithet unless mm-hmm. there were like grievances but i yep. just don't know how specific any of that is but right, it's right. definitely an interesting question i'm just not sure how much thought we're supposed to be giving to it specifically right I, I thought that was interesting. I I heard this episode being raked over the coals for its simplicity, but I got to say, like, I think they earned it. I love it. Yes, it took place in somebody's really nice living room. And yes, it took place in the woods where you didn't really see anything, like no special effects aside from the amazing little floating creatures that were um, flying. But, oh, man, the visual effects person who talked about the creation of this was, was really interesting to hear. Um, and... I, I really like how the creatures looked on screen. Um, but I, I think that, I mean, they established that the, there's a canopy of protective layer and they established that the photon torpedoes were taking p- sections of it down, but also that some of it was holding up and it wasn't going to hold up forever. And that was really what was the race against time. Um, you know, the, the the ticking clock, as it were, that they were fighting against. Um, and... I don't know. For me, it was earned. I, I thought it was complex enough and I thought it was simple enough and I really didn't get bothered by the, the simplicity of the shooting. I thought that it was clever because, I don't know, it was, yeah, it looked like limited resources, but also it was beautifully done. Like there were visual effects for the screen getting blown up with uh, with torpedoes. There were visual effects aplenty for the creatures that were floating in the woods. Like, what do you want? <laughs> Don't be so harsh. I don't mind that we only see a handful of people because, again, that's kind of Star Trek. It just felt like there were some odd choices made. Like, if the point is supposed to be, like, these people are starving and they're undergoing this ecological disaster, then why does everybody look so... Well-kempt. Well-kempt and they're living in this nice house. Yeah. It's like, have them come across, like, the next-gen episode that introduced Ensign Rowe. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, have them come across, like, this this camp. Or like, it's this dingy yes. street where the people are, like, ladling right. soup out of a pot on the streets and mm. they're huddled in cloths. And it's like, that's then you immediately, you know, yeah. like, just get 10 extras, drape cloths on them. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, the guys that you don't have to, instead of paying the guys to be, like, burly fight guys. Yes. Instead, like, have... Double you know, up on them. Yeah, like, have, <laughs> have, have extras just look poor and unkempt. Yep. And instead of paying some guy, like, ten thousand dollars to shoot in his expensive yeah. wall to floor to ceiling glass living room yeah this is like have it be in the forest and i have, have it, questions about the race too have like, it be like a little encampment in the forest right. with tents like a little shanty town right and then it's like oh these people have been driven from the cities sure by these pests yep and now they have to take refuge in the forest and oh and you don't even need to see the crops or whatever necessarily mm-hmm. you just tell but like everything looks so nice and pristine yeah from the it just one looks like a, a nice yeah. forest outside Toronto, and you're like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, yes. it, I just it felt like it wasn't. I think so, it was void of people. It, it more wasn't than so much. Else. Yeah, it wasn't so I much agree. a question of scale. It was how they chose to use mm-hmm. the resources that they had. I mm-hmm. felt like with slightly different storytelling decisions or or writing decisions, you could have used the same amount of money, yeah, but made the planet feel a bit more interesting yeah. or or elicit more empathy from the audience, right? Instead of just being like, oh, well, these guys, I mean, this guy's like, 
You know, like he's got like a nicely trimmed beard and yeah. he's living in this nice house. Right. You know, it, yeah. it just, I don't know. It, it just, it felt like a weird choice. I'm not sure if they, if they meant to do more with it, but then like some, some scheduling thing fell through with a random of money or, 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 or COVID or whatever, or if this was what they intended, but they just thought that it would come together more. Yeah. Like they thought, I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, it, it shooting felt, six feet apart in the in the woods is kind of the way I to go. I think they had the whole pandemic. season. I think they had the whole season shot. In the can- though. Oh, okay. okay. I think it was just post production that happened during COVID. Yeah, um, you're right. The the orchestra. But mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what it was. It just, it just felt like odd decisions. Like with with the money that you could have spent on some of the special effects, you could have hired a few more extras and made this place feel a little bit more disrupted by this ecological menace that's supposed to be plaguing it. Yeah. Um, so I, I just don't know why they made some of those decisions they did unless they thought they were going to be able to do more with that location or use a different location and then it fell through. I don't know. I yeah. don't want to speculate about behind the scenes stuff, but sometimes it sometimes it just happens. Yeah, it wasn't perfect, but I did think that what it did, it did earn. You know, like you're right. I think I think I would have benefited from more people um, to a more a, a better variety of people. Like, or just like differently you said. or just differently dressed people in a yeah. cheaper mm-hmm. location. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was luxury living, and I I think book made it seem that way. Like, oh, you you're living nice, you know the the they're taking care of you. But what about the rest of the planet? But that's the problem is that we never, we never see, see the rest. I mean, so of the you planet. can't have yep. it both. If exactly. you want to show the if the point is that the haves and if you want to if you want to contrast the haves and have nots, you can't just see the haves. You have to see the have nots, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Or you can make the people that we do see the have nots. Yes. So that we feel sympathy for them. But yes. You can't just show the people living in their fancy luxury living rooms with their like, bodyguards. This planet desperately needs our help. It doesn't right. look like it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like the critique against. Where I'm sitting, it's yeah. like the critique against the Star Wars prequels, right? Where the galaxy is supposed to have been at war for many years, and the 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 Republic is supposed to be in the prequels now. It's like then the Republic is supposed to be crumbling, yep. but then you, it cuts to Coruscant, and people are still there. They're going to take in a show, and the building, you know, everything yeah. still looks nice. And there's, you know, what I mean? Yep. It's a, you could show the decay of the society in a way that subtly or not so subtly makes it clear that things are getting worse and worse yeah. and that, you know, something bad is going to happen instead of just showing everybody living in their luxury penthouses yep. and standing by windows and sitting on couches, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, but I mean, but again, it, I didn't even, it occurred it, as I was watching and I'm like, this is not the most interesting place in the world, but I'm used to planets, one-off planets in Star Trek being completely uninteresting yeah. mm-hmm. and the interesting stuff coming from the dialogue and the character development and stuff like that. I'm just used to that. Yep. But for for people who've kind of gotten used to this modern style of Star Trek, yeah, you're used to things being a bit more interesting visually. Right. And like and, and there being more of a sense of scope to things. Yep. Um than than that. So I don't know. I think it's just it maybe is a question of like your expectations when you right. watch one of these episodes. But right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. That was yeah, that was great. That's pretty much for me as well. Um yeah, so if you want to reach out to the show, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about... It's the uh, psychic wave asking the little things to float away. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs>